morning. This is Amanda, one of Steve's longtime friends and executive producer of Too Much Scrolling. Happy anniversary, guys. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Growing for June 26, 2018. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. This week, Chip, this is the last episode of Too Much Scrolling for year number four. We have completed, or we will in the next 40 minutes, we will have completed four years of Too Much Scrolling. Four years of this podcast. Every Tuesday. We have not skipped one Tuesday we have it in four years that's a lot of discipline Steve yeah thank it you. is and we've gotten through a lot of books we've met a lot of great people and we have watched a lot of movies too. yeah so I, I think I'm a brighter person and a more knowledgeable person because we so. started this I think we are better people for having done this little hobby of ours and if you are a person that's listening to us we want to thank you yeah. uh, thank you for, for taking time out of your day to listen to us yabber about whatever we're going to yabber about <laughs> and we want to thank our executive producers who support us on patreon you can yes. be one of them go to our patreon page patreon.com slash too much scrolling we want to thank our musicians our house band who provided oh the music that's grenadier you can go to our show notes and find all of their information they're they're fantastic i just got back from driving a long trip yeah and i pulled up youtube and i'm sitting and listening to the, the music their music is really good it so if you are really a person who likes is. the replacements yeah or some of the, the bands of that era sort of it would fall right into that um man they they are as tight as any of those bands that's awesome it, it's been a great four years also today is the anniversary of the publication of the first harry potter book harry potter 500 copies were printed in the initial run for the first harry potter novel three points for gryffindor <laughs> 21 years ago today how about uh, that? That is awesome. Harry the sorting Potter. hat at that point came down and just basically said, you should all read this. And everybody did. And the interesting part about it is in the lexicon, as Steve speaks Star Wars speak, mm -hmm. and we can say things always, this generation that followed this book. It's all about Harry Potter. They speak Harry Potter speak. It's incredible how much of a uh, zeitgeist this became for a, a period of time and in fact it's still the echoes of it are going on as new star wars movies come out and they're trying to find you know what their their cadence is there are harry potter movies coming out they're not based on harry potter but we've got another one coming universe, out universe yeah, yeah we're, we're getting ready to have a uh, another one come out um in december yep so rock and roll awesome Film at 11. Brings us to our Film at 11, our movie of the week. You finally got a chance to see how to talk to girls at parties. Now, this was a true failure on the release of this. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I think movies are going to have to either become like, listen, HBO is going to release this, Netflix, Amazon Prime. There's so, so many outlets for these sorts of films. We need to find the right pattern. There's no reason why a major metropolitan area like Chicago mm -hmm. should not have this playing at multiple theaters. And it was two or three weeks after the movie was released, it was playing on two theaters. Mm -hmm. And we were gone that week. We were at Indie PopCon. So I was very lucky. Um, I just, just happened to pull up 
this movie? I said, you know, is it is it streaming yet? And I did. I saw it through Amazon Prime. I was able to rent it through there. There you go. And you can rent it right now yeah. uh, if you want to watch it. And I really enjoyed this film. So let's go back over this again. This is okay. a Neil Gaiman short story mm-hmm. made into a movie, and it's about aliens, right? Well, um, that, you don't know that at the beginning. Oh. So it's about a period of time. So you're in London. This is the punk movie. The punk movie was back in the 70s. It's a very, very short um time i mean if you think of the new york punk we, we have uh things like the ramones and things of that nature but the um and you know eventually moves into what we would call um new wave uh which is probably my generation or industrial music or however they define it at that moment um but at the point it was a, re- a rebellion against um what had become very over produced music you think of bands like elp and queen and um uh genesis and it's just this artsy music that everything is a little bit more um uh too artsy so they were basically it would steve and me and another person would get together we don't know how to play instruments and say we want to we want to form a band and you form a band, and you're going to learn your instrument as you're playing. And, and on the English side of that, it's bands like the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. uh, or the Clash or something of that nature. And um, so this is about that movement, the style that was going on and, and sort of the, the rebellion that was going on. And so what we have is this group of kids who are, uh, you know, they go to the proper English school and doing all that stuff. They get rejected. They end up going to a party. And the party, they didn't realize that was going to be in um, these aliens. But we, we learned that eventually. They're all in fetish gear. There's like circus performers. There's, um, it's so awesome. It just is so cool. But anyway, these aliens, are. we end up learning about them. And the joke of this is, is you wanted to know what the Infinity Stones were starring in after the Infinity War from the Avengers earlier this year. Okay. They're really, they're, they're, they're pegged actors. They really can't get a lot of uh, other gigs. Well, they starred in this. So um, the Infinity Stones, if you wanted to know what they were doing, they were also in this film too. Okay. Uh, so you you think this is a good movie? You really enjoyed this? I enjoyed this film. This, this film was marketed poorly. Mm-hmm. It should be aimed at my kids. Uh, oh, when I say my kids, high schoolers. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe early college students. And you know, it's a period piece because of when it takes place. Um, it was a reliving of sort of my youth. Maybe not youth in in the real sense, but sort of a, a made up memory of youth and the rebellion and, and okay. stuff like that. This is a timeless type of story. It's got the Neil Gaiman twists in it. The actors who starred in this, they did a really, really good job. In fact, I, I, I think, I hope they have wonderful careers hmm. because they did an incredibly good job. It's got this wonderful tie at the end where, where um, they wrap up the story and you're going, oh, how cool is that? And Neil Gaiman was the producer of this, so he must have paid for part of it. Uh, I hope we get more of these types of films. It didn't get particularly good ratings on this, um, you know, like 50-50 type thing. I, I thought it was much better than that. I, I think it was 60-70. I mean, it certainly wasn't uh, life-changing. You don't have to watch it 10 times. but Well I, worth the rental on Amazon Prime. Sure. If uh, I can think of a, a number of Scott Pilgrim movies. You mm-hmm. know, if I wanted to match them in. I was thinking like of that. Michael Sarah. Is, yeah. is that seems like that sort of, you know, Nick and Nora's 
playlist movie where the, there's kids sure. and they're doing these revolt not revolting revolutionary things there's a difference sure <laughs> and we, we forget on how we capture things we forget how naive we are mm-hmm. and you know with a rebellion and one of the arguments that the uh, alien has with uh, the, our young hero in this is uh, well there's a lot of contradictions in your uh, you know anarchy but you know not really anarchy and, right. and, and it's just what, these are kids. Yeah. What, what are they? They're kids. Um, I enjoy this. I recommend it. Nice. So I, th- I think that uh, many people enjoy it, especially with teenagers, young, right. young adults. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You also got to see Tag, which we talked about at Indie PopCon. This is the story of a, a lifelong friendship that where these guys are playing the world's largest game of Tag. This is based on a true story. It is based on a true story. In fact, the ending, and not to give away the ending, they, the endings are all playing Tag, and these are all the actors playing Tag, and eventually it kind of morphs into all these clips of all these guys, the real people, Playing tag and all the the, the uh, get ups that you know the, the amount of effort they take to yeah. to tag these people. You like this one too. I really enjoyed this. So if I had to say my favorite comedy of the year so far, it would be Game Night, mm-hmm. no doubt. But this is this is right up there. Wow. It's a little bit um, more risque, but certainly not anything overt. Um, this is all about talking. In fact, Nora Dunn, if you remember her from Saturday Night Live, uh-huh. and she also is one of the writers at the Under Under the Gun Theater here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. She plays this cougarish mom with a um, with a little kinky style style, style to her, hitting on um, you know these young men as I shouldn't call them young men; these older men as they come <laughs> back playing tag. Wow! The story is really um, this Wall Street Journal reporter just happening to be uh, interviewing this guy who plays tag. Ed Helm walks in and tags this guy, and you know it's all a big freak show at that point. And the reporter is not interested at all in this story. But is absolutely fascinated by this game of tag, which takes place during the entire month of May. And the trailer, if you watch it, you know they, they tag each other at funerals. They tag each other at the most inappropriate time. Um, and it's just there's there's a lot of play in this, a lot of playfulness. And one of the uh, quotes they keep using that's not a real quote. They keep uh, saying it's to it's a Benjamin Franklin uh, quote. It's a uh, it's attributed to Benjamin Franklin. It's not a Benjamin Franklin quote. We we get that at the end, but it says something that we we become old because we stop playing, and so this is a reminder that you can go out and play. So maybe you can't play as a kid. In fact, I can't remember. I think that we played kickball one year during a block party. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I think we played. I mean, if you remember as a kid, um, like playing hide and go seek, mm-hmm. you can do that as an adult. Yeah. Geocaching is yeah. a, a, a version of that that's you know it's not doesn't have that adrenaline. We played Foursquare all through college. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> yes, we did. Oh, so the, these things work out really, really well. Yeah. If you if you go go to a paintball place and do mm-hmm. paintball, you know that's, that's a little more money. But the deal is that you get that same adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us can't go out and play football now. Uh, on the on the level that a high schooler would play football, right? But many of us can go out and do some of those things. Go out and and do a frisbee golf or something like that. Here in Chicago, we've got the 16 inch softball. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yes, with that. We are. The that's softball a... that's not available anywhere else. Uh-huh. The Chicago version. Yes, sir. It's a big, big soccer ball. It's a big reason just to sit around and drink beer and have that camaraderie. That's what it's really all about. Steve, 
I'm not the only one who got to see movies this week. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah, it's summertime, and I got to see two movies this week, both on Tuesday and Thursday, the $5 days at my local theater. I got to You've see... got Movie Pass. Why would you use $5? Uh, because it's $5. Okay. <laughs> I got to see Incredibles 2 on Tuesday. That one is really fun. You should really get a chance to go see that. One thing in your review from, that, from last week about Incredibles 2 that you mentioned, but you sure. didn't tell me, was there... There's a real 1950s vibe to Incredibles 2. There is. There is, like, it is set in the 1950s with a very few exceptions about how we treat people maybe a little bit differently in the 21st century. Sure. I mean, in the 50s, um, we typically would not put the woman in the role of the star. Mm -hmm. Well, I shouldn't say that. I love Lucy would be a person. But usually we're going to be like, it's the whatever show. Superman. John Smith stories. Superman was certainly a bigger character than any female female character sure. in comics at the time yeah sure so elastigirl became the focus right. of the the public relations uh part and mr incredible stays home with the kids and i was really apprehensive from the trailer i thought this was going to be way more story about him staying at home and being miserable they really did a great job with that little piece of that story talking about adulthood and parenthood and, and the movie hums along certainly really there's does. not really a slow that's the beautiful part about pixar films mm-hmm. typically is there's not a real slow slow part to them they, they usually kind of hum along yeah. they're there to be digested and they feel good and you leave and you go wow the credits when they start rolling you oh go, wow yeah stick around for the credits there's no ending dun, thing dun, dun, at the dun, end dun, of the credits dun, dun. but during the credits there's that other style of animation going on and it's so fascinating to look at Incredibles 2 is a great movie I also got to see the new Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom alright so Steve I did not see this. That was my... I talked tag instead. Instead. Tell me about... Jurassic World, Steve. I am not a huge fan of the Jurassic World franchise. I'm not a huge fan of Jurassic Park franchise. You really loved the first Jurassic Park. I, I did. I liked the book and I liked the, the first film. The, the first film, the way you're, that you're, we saw those dinosaurs for the first what, time... That's was, was why it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. This movie is all about the dinosaurs. There's more dinosaurs in this movie than there were in any of the other films. The dinosaurs are the stars of this film. We need more Laura Dern, Steve. You just don't like Laura Dern. I didn't say that at all. You just don't like Laura Dern. I like Laura Dern. She's not in this. <laughs> she is not in this There's film. There's plenty of dinosaurs. There's so many dinosaurs. The whole time, this adventure really drew me in. I was really in and a part of this adventure more than I remember being in the previous Jurassic movies. Really? Really. I I really wasn't sure who was going to live and who was going to die in this adventure. Okay. In at any moment, any of the characters could have been absolutely obliterated by these dinosaurs. These okay. dinosaurs were out, and they were in the middle of destruction of so many things. Okay. Anybody could have been a victim. And uh, here's where my criticism actually begins. Dun, dun, dun. The characters in this movie are very flat, generic characters. They are, huh? They are very very simple the nerd the scientist the uh lawyer guy who gets eaten just like in the first jurassic park so there's no real depth to Steve, these are characters. you saying that they this is like a star wars film they just keep playing the same one over and over and over yeah that's been the biggest criticism that, that i've read over the weekend is most people say yeah we've seen this movie this movie is just a retread of the same old same old 
but isn't that what you expect from Jurassic World? Don't you want it to be the similar story? The story of the dinosaurs eating people and the people running for their lives? I mean, we've got... Steve, in my mind, I say no, because I have, I've already planned out they escape the island and they start working up the Americas. Right. That's that's that, that's, that's, that's my your, story, that's and I don't know why that story out. doesn't just continue. I love Chris. Pratt. All of a sudden, they they make this massive whale sharky or whatever it ah. is, and I'm going, all right. So you're going to have a dinosaur park? Why in the world are you going to throw in something in the ocean that you can't see? Oh my right. god, <laughs> that's a great. That's that's great. That character does uh, does play a part in this okay. movie. So just so you know. Okay. Spoilers. Spoilers. This is a good movie. It's not a great movie. I, I'm not a big fan of the franchise, but I did get into the action. I was believing the action of this very well. I love Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt was great in this. Unfortunately, some of his best comedic lines were in the trailer. Excellent. So you've got that. Bryce Dallas Howard is beautiful. She is fantastic in this. She is running, and you believe. Was she in the other one, too? She is, yes. She's the female lead from the first okay. Jurassic World. And you believe that she is in danger and that she is running for her life. She, she screamed. She did a great job. She did a wonderful job. Also, James Cromwell is in this one. All right. So all my wife and I were thinking the whole time was, that'll do, pig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the reference from Babe. <laughs> yeah, Ze Zephyrin Cochran himself shows up in this one. So that, It's good. Go see it. It's going to make a lot of money. It's already made a huge amount of money this weekend. Well, I guess that means they're going to make more. Uh, there's definitely more Jurassic World to come, that's for sure. Opening this week, we've got some very interesting films. We've got all sorts of different things that are available for us. The first one is called Sicario, Day of the Soldado. This is the sequel to the 2015 Sicario. Benicio Del Toro is in this one, along with Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin's all over the place. So it stars Thanos. Yeah. And uh, that guy from Star Wars. You know, that uh, guy. That mumbly just, guy. He just basically betrays everybody, Steve. Sort of. Um, and, <laughs> and anyway, when they're not in space uh, doing their, their destroying of worlds, mm -hmm. they must come down to, to fight you know, here. Yeah, this is the drug war on the U.S.-Mexico border. This is kind of a hot topic right now, huh? Steve, if we could bring the world together, this is the type of movie that could do it. Uh, probably not. Yeah, anyway, I, I this so. um, is probably one of the films to see because as we start talking about the other ones, okay. Okay. <laughs> that might be your top movie of the week. There is a basketball movie called Uncle Drew that's coming out. This stars some of your favorite uh, former NBA stars dressed sure. up in old people makeup and playing basketball. Steve, if I could have a movie dream where players have been out of the league for six to ten years <laughs> and I could put them together for a movie. A silly comedy. This would probably be a. This is, looks this like is, it's based on a what, Pepsi uh, commercial series they were running. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. anyway, so it sounds like um, this is aimed at a younger demographic. Uh huh. That's not me. My 12 year old is. is in love with the idea of this movie. He wants to see this movie very much. He loves the fact that most of these men have shoes that have their names on them, and he likes to look at the shoes. That's that's the group of people that this movie is for. Steve, thank goodness you have boys. You can go see it then. You can report on it. <laughs> Maybe I will. There's a movie called Woman Walks Ahead. 
This is a story of a woman who's going to Dakota to paint a portrait of Sitting Bull. This is stars Sam Rockwell and Jessica Chastain. It's not an action picture. It's a it's a dramatic sort of adventure, but I look forward to this one. If you could just watch this maybe with Dancing with Wolves. I yes. think you I think you've got your 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 picture. It's on that level. Yeah. Steve, uh, we'll all be brighter people from sitting through this. And then we can go on a game show. There's a documentary called Game Changers. This is hosted by Alex Trebek. He goes around and interviews all of the game show hosts that we've come to love in the last, what, 40 years? Game show's been around for 75 years. That has got to be one of the most choice positions. If you can do it right. Oh, my goodness. If you can stay. You, you are a loved person. Uh-huh. Patsy Jack. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, he's been doing that for so long. Sure, Bob Barker. Yeah, Drew Carey now uh-huh. is taking over. Alex Trebek himself. Oh my goodness, Alex Trebek. These Joker's are... wild, Steve. <laughs> These are people that are Snoop people Dogg. that we know. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg on the on the Joker's Wild. I don't know that that show's going to last, but he, he he played Snoop Dogg, Steve. That's right. The, this is a very interesting documentary. The trailer isn't a great trailer, but I look forward to seeing the information in this documentary. There's, for those of you who aren't into documentaries... You mean the more adventurous of oh, us. Oh, the more adventurous. There is a, a, a deep cover operative movie called Black Water coming out. Steve, this has me just sitting on the edge of my uh, seat. Uh-huh. Who is starring in this? Oh, of course. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Excellent. And Dolph Lundgren in oh, the goodness. same film. Just what the world has been waiting for. This looks like it's going to be like our choice of the week. I, I think uh, that no. if you're looking for something... <laughs> That you don't want to be disappointed on. This is the one to go to. It's probably straight to video. Uh, this sounds like a straight to video kind of a title. It might be great. Who knows? There is a Netflix straight to Netflix title coming out called Tau. This is another Netflix, I hope, home run. This one is about a smart home, an AI that's scary and taking over. And we should be scared of all of your smart home products because they're taking over. That nest that's nest, uh, controlling your temperature is going to turn it up too high or too cold for you, Steve. And murder you. Exactly. <laughs> Probably turn on the lights at the wrong time. The voice of the AI in this one is Gary Oldman. So, so, so Commissioner Gordon from the Batman films, he stars in this. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, Good choice. Boy. Yeah, I look forward to that one. There is a really interesting story being told in documentary form this week called Three Identical Strangers. This is an amazing story. This is an unbelievable story. And, of course, they're going to make a film out of it. Mm -hmm. Three guys who are triplets, separated at birth, did not know that they had brothers anywhere in the world until two of them went to the same college and they were mistaken for each other. Isn't that amazing? It is absolutely amazing. So, at that point, they're thinking they're twins. Right. Until the third guy sees the news story and says, oh... Uh, I look like those two guys. They are fully identical triplets, separated at birth, and then the weird part starts of this movie. The parents never knew that there were triplets. That, that is unbelievable. That means the, the, the mom had three babies. And didn't know it. Maybe she was unconscious. One. Who knows? I don't know. Wow. And somebody at the hospital decided that this family should not have three identical... Somebody made that choice. Uh, how? Why? This is an amazing story. That's why there's story. a story. That's why there's a movie, I Steve. look forward to seeing this movie, Three Identical Strangers. Book it. Book it. Book it. 
to our book at our book of the week and you know we we meet so many wonderful people we get so many great people in on this thing that we're doing trying to be better people trying to be smarter trying to learn about humanity bill shelley is an author who writes about all sorts of aspects of literature and comic books and all sorts of things and he's joining us for the second time today yeah and we we actually spoke to him uh, about a year ago about his uh his book and i had read the auto bender book also mm-hmm. and so we this is this is like a return so thank you welcome bill well it's good to be back guys great to have you thanks for coming so the book we're going to discuss is sense of wonder my life in comic fandom the whole story by Bill Shelley, and it was released back in April. This is the second edition, right? You had an original story that you then added to for this version. That's right. Um, the original book was published back around the year 2000, and it only covered my life and fandom up to the time I was about 21. And um, this book picks up that story um, and continues it to the present day, and uh, so the first half is kind of the one end of the bookend, and the second half is it fits with the other half of the story. And it, uh, it's great because the story begins with me wanting to become a writer and in fandom learning uh, to develop my skills as a writer and artist. And then eventually, of course, in the latter part of the book, it shows how I was able to achieve that and ended up uh, winning um, an Eisner Award for my Harvey Kurtzman biography. So the title, Sense of Wonder, comes from one of your many fanzines that you started in 1967. What sorts of things did you publish in that fanzine? Well, Sense of Wonder started as like a small press comic book with my own amateur characters and with those of other fans, but then it morphed over time to become more of a magazine like Alter Ego, which carried articles and uh, reviews and discussion of the graphic story medium. So it became more of a serious uh, uh, article and fact magazine by the end. So tell us a little bit about your first memories reading, just in general. Reading anything? Yes. Well, of course, I I definitely, uh, my first memory reading was typical of many kids my age back in the early 60s or the late 50s. We would go to first grade and we would uh, read about Dick and Jane. Sure. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the teacher would put his hands like parentheses around each word and um, and we and, you know, immediately uh, reading was very easy for me. And so by the time I read my first comic book when I was eight, um, I was doing pretty good and I was able to read a, a DC comic book without too much trouble, although I didn't understand certain words like um, invulnerable. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I gradually increased my vocabulary when I was reading Little Lulu uh, or Nancy. Um, I would learn the word idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that useful. kind of thing. Oh, so your first comic book um, that you purchased was 1960's Giant Superman Annual Number 1. Tell us about what you remember about the comic. Well, I remember, first of all, buying it at a train station 
and convincing my dad that, it, you know, at first he didn't want to spend a quarter, you could get a comic book for a dime, and I convinced him that uh, it was worth it because it has everything about Superman. <laughs> and my dad uh, hesitated for a moment and then finally looked at the news dealer and then shrugged and threw down a quarter. And uh, I got the first comic book I remember ever selecting for myself. And I just remember opening it and somehow just being completely mesmerized. Um, the first story was Superman's first exploit. And it has Superman trying to remember and have and go back and remember the first super feat he ever did. And, um, and that was my introduction to the Superman um, mythos. And there was just something about it, the colorful story, the, the um, uh, kind of, uh, it had kind of a noir, uh, kind of a dark uh, quality like some of those uh, stories back then did, uh, and a psychological element that also um, sort of appealed to me. And so I, I read that whole annual on my train trip, and by the time I finished it, I, was, uh, I wanted more. Now, Otto Bender was one of the writers of some of the stories in there, and um, you eventually, um, you write about Otto Bender in your um, fanzine, the uh, Superheroes Anonymous number two, and you, you mm -hmm. and that eventually, which is about Captain Marvel and Shazam, and you eventually right. write a, an entire book about one of these, this writer, Otto Bender. Um, why is he so important? Why, why was he an important writer of uh, Superman and and uh, in the history of comics? Well, for, he was important to me, obviously, because he wrote six of those nine stories that were in that Superman annual number one, which, you know, made me fall in love with comic books. Uh, but he was important because, in the Superman mythos, because he was the um, main writer uh, for those comic books starting about 1954. Before that, he'd been doing the original Captain Marvel comics in the 1940s and many others. But he started contributing to the Superman mythos, and he um, was a co-creator of Supergirl, uh, of the Legion of Superheroes, of uh, this Bottle City of Candor and Brainiac, uh, of Lucy Lane, and many of the elements that were developed in the late 50s and early 60s as, as the Superman's um, comic books became a little more ambitious and fully fleshed out. I mean, he was the only one who wrote Jimmy Olsen for like the first 25 issues, every story. You write in your book how how much you enjoyed the old issues themselves and that you were equally interested in the fanzines devoted to them. You didn't want to be a passive consumer, you wrote. You wrote that you wanted to be a active participant. Before the internet, there were these fanzines about comics, which you subscribed to, and you wrote your own. What What's a fanzine for our listeners? A fanzine is a amateur magazine that's created by a fan like myself that you would print up using a primitive, simple, inexpensive printing method that you could do in your own home, and then you would uh, staple the pages together and send copies out to people who had sent you uh, a dime or a quarter for it through the mail, and you would advertise it in another fanzine, a, big, a bigger fanzine that carried advertisements, and then you would get orders. And then you, you, when, you, when you got your magazine finished, you'd put it in the mail, and then people would write you letters. 
and it was it was sort sort of like a, a blog um, we would have today. Mm-hmm. How has the internet changed the way that fanzine sort of publications are published? Well, I think the key difference is that uh, the the uh, contact is immediate. You post something and you can get a comment within ten minutes. Mm-hmm. That back then you'd send it out; it would take a few days to get to someone. Then they would actually have to type up a letter using a typewriter put it in an envelope and send it to you by, you know, snail mail, and uh, then you would get it. And if you wanted to comment back, you would have to write back. So everything was very extended and stretched out because if the other big difference back then is that long-distance phone calls were very expensive. They're not like it is today, where people think nothing of calling people in other cities or countries. Um, back then, uh, you just didn't do that. And so um, it really was a, a different, much slower way of communicating. But, of course, we accepted it because that was all we had. Sure. In fact, I was going to ask the response to Superheroes Anonymous number 2 um, was, was minimal in the sense that you had a circulation of about 40 or 50 copies. But you did receive a letter, and the letter was from Spider-Man co-creator Steve Ditko, who was very angry about you using a picture that he drew. I guess he, he sent one to you. And I know you were shocked by the letter because you wrote that in the book. Um, still a letter from a Spider-Man uh, creator. Um, it's pretty uh, amazing. It's still, I mean, it's impressive that you would get that type of response. Tell me, what did you learn about g- getting this letter and having Steve Ditko um, responding to you with, you. with such, anger, yeah. such anger? Well, uh, the first thing I learned is that comic book artists were real people. Because, you know, when you get a piece of paper that's in a drawing by someone who is doing Spider-Man, the comic book you're, you're in love with, or I got a, a sketch from Jack Kirby of Captain America, and this was, these were not um, crummy sketches, they were nice drawings uh, that were just sent to me because I wrote a fan letter I, had, I felt a sense of connection with the people who created the comics. But as far as what I learned from, from Ditko's outrage that I published his drawing, it was a drawing of Dr. Strange, I, I, what I learned is that, you know, you have to realize that when people send you something, you can't just automatically publish it without their permission. Um, especially if it's a drawing or something like that or, or a photograph. You know, you cannot just uh, decide on your own on, in, in some cases. You need permission. Whereas if someone sent you a letter of comment, well, it was assumed that that could be put into your letter column of your next issue. But a drawing is something else, and it never even occurred to me. You know, it's like when you buy an original piece of art, you don't buy the publishing rights. Uh, and when you're thir- a 13-year-old boy... <laughs> right. You're not thinking about that kind of stuff. So I, it was a, at the time I kind of went, he's crazy. I thought he was kind of crazy. But then uh, over time I understood mm-hmm. why he was a little upset because I hadn't written to him and said, may I publish this in my fanzine. Right. Sure, sure. It's kind of a growing, um, as a young publisher, kind of a, you know, a growing moment. Well, yeah, I, it was a learning process, and that's what a big part of the early part of Sense of Wonder is about is how I learned through this the ethics of publishing, 
um, how to publish and 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 how to sort of run a small enterprise because if you think about it I'm getting money in the mail I'm getting all those sticky nickels and dimes and stuff because people would tape them to a to a letter mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and and you know and then I had to keep a, a, a subscription list and so on so it was a quite an enterprise for a kid yeah, you were a pretty amazing kid. In November of 1966, you celebrated your 15th birthday, and it was the second anniversary of you being a part of this publishing industry. You had these fanzines, you had you had all sorts of things that you needed to keep track of. That is pretty impressive for a high school sophomore. Uh, do kids today have that sort of energy and, and desire to do things like you did? Well, I mean, I think it's just a totally different world now. But you know, I had, I you know, I've had two kids, and I would look at them when they were thirteen and go, "Now, could I really have started doing this when I was their age?" Um, you know, just in terms of writing something coherent. Um, <laughs> but, but in, but I think that you know, I had a strong urge to create. And to and uh, and what I, one of the things I loved creating was a magazine mm-hmm. or a news little newsletter. I mm-hmm. just loved it, and somehow I just had to do it. Once I found out there was a way to do it, I just had to do it. And I think in a kid today that has that same urge or something like that same urge in them, um, will find will do that too. But it's not that usual, I suppose. In your introduction to this story of your life you you talk about how coming out as an adult comic book reader was was quite a stigma but you also came out as a gay man and we we just got through the weekend with the gay pride events across the country why why do you see that as as such an important part of who you are to put it into your introduction of your autobiography well i think that for one thing um I felt it was important for me to, in this new version of the book, which is completely different in so many ways than the first one, um, that I wanted to deepen the story, and I wanted to be more honest. And for me to do that, and particularly to describe later how I ended up having kids, what was I going to say? I, I can't lie and say I was married or that I had them in a, you know, in a traditional situation. Right. And so, therefore, it kind of made me think, well, then I think I need to deepen this story if I'm going to go there. And, um, but also, it was interesting because, you know, if you think about it, uh, if, you, if I'm talking about being gay, then I'm looking at comics, and, uh, and maybe a secret identity is something I could identify with yeah. in a way that maybe somebody else wouldn't, a straight person might not. Or... Um, Maybe comics with all those guys dressed up in spandex would appeal to me in a way <laughs> that uh, you know a, a guy would look at super a straight guy would look at Supergirl and I'd look at Superboy. There you go. So I used I used to have fantasies of being Pete Ross and being Superboy's best friend. You know, <laughs> Pete Ross was such a great character. That's th- those secrets. That's that's part of childhood, isn't it? You're you're not understanding what's going on, and you find out something, and you have to keep it a secret, and you find out that it's maybe not as important as you expected it to be. Pete Ross really embodied one of us in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, um, yeah, and I and I think, but I want people to know, uh, of course, while I come out in this book, 
and I talk about some of the issues, that's not the main thrust of the book. Absolutely. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the main thrust of the book is be, me being more or less not a typical comics fan, but something like that. And, um, and how um, in a memoir like this, if you love comics, you know, what happens when you read somebody else's experience like mine is you remember your own. That's what memoir does, and mm-hmm. this is a memoir. So I think that um, as I'm deepening my story, I think maybe it, in the reader, it even allows the reader to think a little more deeply about his or her life. That's just me being a little uh, pretentious, maybe, but <laughs> that's my thought. Well, in, in fact, one of the areas that you talk about in, this, in a section is, you said, I don't understand, and I still don't, why our society holds uh, physical skill, higher regard than intellectual proudness. Uh, isn't the mind uh, as important as the body? And you wrote this in, in reference to experiencing being bullied in school. And bullying is certainly a very hot topic right now in, in most schools. And can you expand your thoughts um, growing up and experiencing bullying? The thing that I uh, didn't really get was a lot of contact with my dad. My dad was a more remote figure. So as far as doing understanding uh, what a man was, what, a, what men were like, and what a, a guy might want to, to be like... Um, I didn't really have that, so I I was kind of um, I, I I kind of let others uh, push me around a little bit be, rather than stand up for myself when I might have because I wasn't a you know a complete uh, um, wimp so to speak mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I I you know but I, I was on the swimming team um, and uh, in in the summers and stuff like that but but. Um, I was bullied, and and I didn't understand it because it was like, well, what is the point of this? Why why is this important to anybody to put, put to put me down just because I'm not that good at baseball, or um, I look like uh, someone that they can do that to because I'm not big and burly? And um, later I understood that maybe even something of my gayness was being picked up somehow. Hmm. Uh, but I don't think I ever acted that way. But in any case, um, you know, I, to me, it just may, to me the thing is that thought and and where we live our lives is is in our heads, really, in many ways. And the physical side of it is there to carry that out, and and so on. But where we assimilate everything is is in our mind. And to me, that just seems like a high sort of a higher thing. And uh, I just never understood why, you know, uh, it, for example, I would go to summer camp and the kids would call me professor and make fun of me because they thought that I talked too intelligent. Hmm. <laughs> just finding some way to make fun of someone and, and to make fun of someone who's intelligent, who, who, to use intelligence as something to ridicule you for, mm-hmm. I just never understood. And really, to this day, I don't really understand it. Yeah, as a teacher, I see stuff like that all the time. The separation of the jocks and the brains and the artists and, in my case, the theater kids because I put on musicals. We we see that all the time, and, and I don't quite understand why we do that. But it brings me to one of your stories that you tell in your book where your father said that art is a wonderful hobby, but you can't make a living with it. He's thought, his thought was that maybe you should go into business or law instead of pursuing your 
passion. What what sort of advice do you give to a person considering a life in the arts today? Well, I think you have to be completely honest with people and and say that making a living in that field is challenging, mm-hmm. and that you need to be have the ability to be. Uh, kind of an entrepreneur at the same time you're expressing your creativity if you want to try to earn money with it. It's not just being able to paint a canvas. You need to be able to find a way to get it in front of people. We talk about that all the time, the business side of art. Just being a wonderful painter does not pay the bills. You have to be able to do the marketing part as well. Right. And, and, And so that's what I would say. But I would not discourage anyone from doing that. Um... However, you know, it's funny because in my case, um, I ended up about, as you know from reading the book, we're jumping ahead here, but at about, um, by, the, by the time I got to be about 40, I finally got a good job in the finance field, mm-hmm. which is what you would call business. Mm-hmm. And I, that ended up uh, being my financial salvation so that eventually now I'm retired and I have a I have retirement and I'm financially somewhat secure and um, it really was uh, needed for me because mm-hmm. uh, I never I had never discovered what I wanted to what I wanted to write about when I was in my 20s and 30s I was kind of lost and that's part of what this book is about is I didn't find it until I got older and uh, um, so I was needing a good job in order to um, just make it. So, sure. Chip, write that down and, and hand it to your daughters. Dad was right. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. In fact, let's jump back to your youth again because that, that was a fun time. Um, you grew up in Pittsburgh, and um, yes. you met, uh, you found out that Jim Shooter uh, was in your area, and he was working at the time. So for our listeners, who is Jim Shooter? And tell us a little bit about uh, why it's important and sort of your relationship you, you, you found with him. Well, first of all, at that time, which is the um, middle 60s, uh, it was almost impossible for anyone to break into professional comic books because they were coming out of a dark period. And so they they were looking out for each other to for employment so they weren't looking for young people to come in and somehow jim shooter when he was thirteen years old sent in a story to dc comics that was uh... published and that he ended up becoming a regular writer as a teenager of the legion of superheroes and for superman family comic books which was a kind of a freakish thing. He was kind of a wonder kind. And um, I, I just happened to hear that he lived in Pittsburgh, so I looked up his name, and lo and behold, he only lived a couple of miles from where I did. He was in a different school. Uh, but or Maybe it was more than two or two miles, but it was fairly close. Wow. And so we got together, yeah. Oh, isn't that... That's just... What, what, a, what a chance meeting and fun stuff. And he was 13 and you were 15 and you were just two wonder kids doing this publishing thing and you just happened to be two miles away from each other. That's, that is kismet. It really is. And in fact, we co-created a character together which was published in my fanzine Sense of Wonder. And um, he did some drawings for my fanzines and I uh, visited him in his home and uh, so on. But our friendship was one of those things that lasted for about a year. And then, 
you know, at a certain point, what happened was his uh, DC, his his editor there said, "Don't be talking to these fans." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and so, um, and I'm not sure how it came down, but basically, he was given this order. And so I just he 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 was supporting his family. Wow! Because his father his father was out of work. That's and so he had to comply with what they said. So basically, I at a certain point I couldn't get him on the phone. Okay. And uh, um, and then we moved. I moved from Pittsburgh right about that same time. So it was just kind of fell away, and I didn't really pursue it. Um, but later I found out that his editor had said, don't be getting involved with these fans. Hmm. It was a different time, that's for sure. So again, the book is called Sense of Wonder, My Life in Comic Fandom, The Whole Story. And you've written so many other books. What what other sorts of books can our listeners look for from Bill Shelley? Well, um, I've written um, biographies of... Um, Harvey Kurtzman, uh, the man who created Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. which is, that's what it's called, Harvey Kurtzman, the man who created Mad. And um, I also of Joe Kubert, who did the war comics for DC and many other things for comic books over the years, a, a real living legend. And then, as you said, Otto Binder, who wrote all, many of these great Superman stories and who um, is one of the greatest uh, comic book writers of all time. Now, um, I've also wrote a book that I'm maybe best known for in some ways, which is called The Golden Age of Comic Fandom, which is a history of comic fandom of the 60s and the early 70s, which is still in print. Um, now, coming up, I have uh, a biography of Jim Warren, who uh, was the publisher of Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella. Uh-huh. And it's called Empire of Monsters. And it will be out in the fall. In time for Halloween. My goodness. How perfect. Very exciting. (laughs) Just in time for you to come back and talk to us more about it, I hope. (laughs) Well, I'll be happy to. Um, Of course, as as an author, you can't shut me up about my own stuff. (laughs) That's right. So where can our listeners find more information about your writing and, and all of your stuff that you're working on? I have a website, which is kind of a central clearinghouse. And it is my name, which is... Bill Shelley with no space between them and my last name of course is spelled S C H E L L Y dot net. Bill Shelley dot net. And and that is where you, you can find out news of what I'm doing. It's not a it's not a blog where I post stuff every day. But it has you can order all my books there. You can read about what they are. There's excerpts, there's photos, there's um, all kinds of other stuff. There's interviews with me and so on. So that's where I would direct people. All my books are available on Amazon and through Amazon sellers as well. In fact, Sense of Wonder, I noticed, is selling for $13 uh, on a lot of Amazon sellers. Um, I'm not sure how they can make money on that, but it's a great bargain, (laughs) that's for sure. Ding, 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 ding. That's wonderful. So you can go to our show notes and you can find out all of about Bill Shelley, go to our Amazon store, amazon.toomuchscrolling.com. Bill, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about your autobiography. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here, and um, I would uh, love to hear from anyone who reads it. Oh, how wonderful. How wonderful. Very good. Thank you so much, sir. Scroll with it. 
there's lots of stuff going on in the world. Let's talk about almost none of it. There's There was a story this week about video game addiction is now an official disorder with the World Health Organization. That is very interesting. I, I know that many people are on the computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work on a computer. My, you know, much of my I teach computers. Yeah, my my private time. I, I you know, you can mm-hmm. be on the internet and stuff like that. It is a disorder. Mm-hmm. The deal is is on how they're going to to how insurance companies want to deal with this. Right. I mean, how do you how do you take something that is, you know, behavior, and then help someone to move away from it? And can you cut the cord and not use those computers? Well, we we uh, one of the 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 tools that we're using right now for for teaching um, to get you to use things is gamification, mm-hmm. uh, and that just just by uh, you can get a lot of useful benefit from gamification by putting in your food. You can know how many calories you're having. Right. Ding 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 ding. Yeah. You, you met get your prizes. Goal, Steve. You get a sticker. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's so many teachers who are using gamification and dialing into that psychology of it but boy the addiction side of video games is is kind of frightening we've we've all seen that kid at the dinner table with the little portable gaming system well you know the payoff could be really big steve because you could work all your time playing football yeah. or, or, or basketball or something like that or you can do into and probably one of the biggest growing opportunities is for sports yeah the eSports yes. is getting gigantically huge. The opportunities are right there. They're building stadiums for eSports. In fact, I'm thinking that NBA franchises own mm-hmm. eSport um, franchises. That's right. So anyway, this There's is a gonna, lot of money this, there. This is going to be very interesting how it turns out. It's uh, always interesting. A little bit frightening. Always interesting. We have Movie Pass. We can go to a movie any day of the week because we've paid our full year to see any movie, any day, any theater. Sure. AMC has not liked Movie Pass from the beginning. It hasn't. No. They want to do something very similar with AMC theaters only. They've rolled out this week a twenty dollar a month subscription that lets you see up to three movies per week at your local AMC theater for $20 a month. Three movies is a lot of movies. And three movies is more than the average And if you went to week. three movies, yeah. I, it's really hard to even get to two. Yes. But let's just say you went to three. Mm-hmm. The next week, you're, you're, you're not going to repeat watch these. Or movie Pass doesn't allow you to repeat watch. So True. if you saw Black Panther, you can't go back and see Black Panther. Right. I don't know if there's that much at the theater that I would have to go back and see. Eventually, you're going to be, you're like, well, I'm here and it's five o'clock and this is what's playing. I'll see this. Is the average movie ticket price still around $10? Is that the average nationally? I don't know what it is nationally. I know that um, when I use it, one of our, when I use Movie Pass at one of our local theaters, Saturday morning is many uh, a time that I go to see films sometimes. Um, they're charging full price. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I've noticed that. So I think this is their the movie theater's way of combating that. Hmm. Um, but it's still, you know, there's no clear way on this. This is still a deal. 20 bucks to watch three movies a week? As long as you're, well, as long as you're watching at least two movies a month, this is a deal, oh, yeah, I, I think. I think this is fine. Yeah. I think this is fine. I think that national average is right around $10. So $20 a month, once you've seen your third movie in the month... Sure, it's it's a deal. Sure, sure. And if you're a couple, you know, I think it's forty bucks mm-hmm. because you know you're going to go to a movie a week or whatever you're going to go to. Well, I think it kind of can pay itself off. You know, AMC's betting that you're going to buy popcorn. 
Yeah. Right. That's where they make their money anyway. They really don't make a lot of money showing the movie itself. It's the concessions where they make the money. And they're not really making money when the movie's uh, showing anyway. Because, you know, uh, Disney or whoever is taking that first week, or may take more than the first week, yeah. they don't make money on a movie till it's the second, third, or fourth week. Mm-hmm. If you're going to that many movies, you're going to be checking out movies that are, have been out for a few uh, few weeks. Yeah. I wonder about the future of movie theaters. I, I would love to see first-run movies in my home. If I had the opportunity to see... We get a little bit of that play. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them have... Um, they'll release it on iTunes and on um, uh, the theater. And if you're a small... Like the fact we talked about a movie this week that should have been that way. Right. Um, why? Because why am I looking around for a film? That's that's frustrating. That is frustrating to have to go out and find access to that material. Bring it to me, Bring Steve. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Welcome to the 21st century. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think, Chip? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. Guess what? S- starting week. I mean, starting year... Five. five. Year number five starts next week. So tune in next week. We'll, we'll have even more fun in our fifth year we'll together. We'll be so much more mature, Steve. Oh, oh I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> if you need more information, give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And every day of the week, you can go to our news site, news.toomuchscrolling.com. I want to thank you again for listening to too much scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflop. We'll see you in the future. I just